0: you've been with us the last several weeks, we have been, uh, during the Lenten season, on a journey t- journey to the cross, uh, and in the past couple of weeks, we've taken a look at uh, some responses of the disciples to the, the resurrected Christ, so Christ is resurrected, makes appearances to the disciples, um, so we've looked at a journey to the cross, now we're kind of journeying after the resurrection, uh, and I want to take a look at another couple of instances of Jesus presenting himself to uh, people who are his followers, or maybe not yet his followers after the resurrection. So I'm, I'm titling this message "On the Road After the Resurrection." On the road after the resurrection, which is metaphorically is the road that we are on as as Christians. We are um, we are on on the road after the resurrection, reckoning with all that Christ has done for us, accomplished for us, and of course not only for us, but, but for the entire world. So on the road after the resurrection. Have you ever um, read scripture in a way uh, that it has kind of collided with itself? Maybe you've read an Old Testament passage up against a, a New Testament passage, and uh, there has been kind of a new, a new life that has a new meaning that has presented itself, that has been generated, that is above and beyond kind of the sum of the parts. Um, one, of the, one of the benefits of, of doing lectionary readings, we followed the revised common lectionary, is that you get a, a, an Old Testament text, a psalm, uh, a gospel reading, and a New Testament text. And they're often structured in such a way that there are resonances in the New Testament texts that um, uh, kind of point back to the Old Testament text and and vice versa, the Old Testament text kind of point forward to the New Testament text in a way that kind of generates a, uh, I don't really know what it means for the scriptures to be inspired apart from that. I think that's an important way that we talk about the scriptures being inspired. Uh, There is something that happens when texts kind of bump up against each other that are, again, just more than the sum of their parts. I don't know if you've had an experience like that. I hope you have. A few years ago, I had an experience like that with uh, the text that we'll look at this morning from Acts chapter 9, which is the conversion of, of Saul. So this uh, this story um, of, of Saul on the Damascus road has kind of become part of the uh, our cultural vernacular will say something like uh, he had a Damascus Road experience. Many of us will know what that means, even if we're not familiar with the Bible. It's a kind of a, an about face, a, a, an abrupt uh, turning. So I read Acts chapter nine up against Psalm 22 one year. I, I can't remember uh, what cycle it was a part of. It may not have even been the lectionary. I might have looked at the wrong, <laughs> the wrong day. But in any case. I read Psalm 22 up against Acts chapter 9. And I'm, I'm going out of order here. Acts chapter 9 was one of the New Testament readings for last week. And Psalm 22 is not even anywhere near the lectionary. But I got the microphone, so I get to choose what I speak up. <laughs> but Psalm 22 begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The psalmist here is expressing despair. And of course, it's picked up again when Jesus is on the cross. Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he's taking this text from the psalmist and sort of giving it new life. It's given new meaning with Jesus on the cross, expressing a lot of the same sentiment, but of course, there's something added to it. And then we get to something like Acts chapter 9, and this is not a direct reference to Psalm 22, but I do think that there is some sort of resonance here uh, with the cadence of Acts 9-4 and kind of the sentiment in Acts 9-4. And of course, Acts 9-4 is when Jesus speaks to Saul on the road to Damascus, And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So you get, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? Then Jesus is resurrected. He's ascended. He has beaten death. He's the victor over death and the grave. Thank God. And then the first red letters you get in your Bible after his ascension, not after his resurrection, but after his ascension, are these words. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? How interesting. Maybe you wouldn't expect something like that from the resurrected Jesus. Maybe something a little bit more victorious. What does this tell us about the resurrected Jesus that instead of something triumphant, he calls to somebody who is persecuting his body on earth and he says Saul Saul why are you persecuting me so maybe you've had an experience like this and and maybe you just did now that I'm unpacking the the resonances between these texts but where scripture just bumps up against itself and you can't unsee it It sort of sticks with you we could probably all share stories of of uh, such experiences so I want to take a look this morning at two post-resurrection encounters where Jesus meets his disciples, or in this case, Saul, who is not yet a, a disciple. These post-resurrection experiences, you kind of put them up against one another to see, um, to see what new meaning might be generated by them. Uh, so it's not going to be as straightforward as a normal Sunday, probably not as organized as one of Matt's messages uh, I'm already shuffling papers, so it's a sign of things to come. Uh, so if you're, if you're in it for uh, a well-exegeted uh, message, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, moms. I don't want to ruin your Mother's Day. So the first of these texts that I'd like to look at is Luke chapter 24. It's uh, this famous encounter between Jesus and the disciples on the road to Emmaus. So Luke 24, verse 13, that very day, this is after Jesus is resurrected, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. So they're going from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened, Jesus' death. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. This mysterious encounter between the resurrected Christ and these two disciples. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Mystery just keeps compounding here. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? I'm going to jump ahead now to Acts chapter 9. So hold that in your minds if you could. Jump to Acts chapter 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, followers of Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And here it is. Suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus responds, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And Jesus whom you we are persecuting. So the first sort of point that, that we might draw our attention to setting these two texts side by side is that no matter what road we're on, Jesus meets us. So whether we're walking away disillusioned, like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, or drawing near to Jesus with wrong intentions, as Saul is, Jesus meets us. Reminded of the words of the psalm, if I ascend to the heavens, there you are. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. So the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they meet Jesus, and Jesus asks them this question, then he begins explaining to them, the text actually says, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So later they'd come to recognize Jesus, and he would disappear from their sight. But he begins by explaining to them from the scriptures all the things concerning himself. It's kind of discouraging as a preacher that even Jesus can unpack the scriptures, and it doesn't lead to the disciples recognizing him. (laughs) If you've read that story, it's actually in the breaking of the bread that their eyes are opened. It's not in his uh, unpacking the scriptures. So... This is sort of pointless, I guess, until we come to the table. But really, the point here is Jesus uses the scripture to go back, tell the disciples all of these things concerning Jesus himself. They recognize Jesus. He disappears from their sight. And in Luke twenty-four thirty-two, we get this. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures. Keep in mind, their eyes aren't opened during the time that Jesus is unpacking the scriptures to them. It's open, their eyes are open when they break bread with Jesus. But then they come back and they say, we're in our hearts burning. So I want to look at, uh, alongside the points that we'll make this morning by smashing these two texts together, some practices that we might engage in. And the first is a practice called dislocated exegesis. Don't get hung up on these $3 theological words. Um, This is from a a book by Lauren Winner called Still, Notes on a Mid-Faith Crisis. But she unpacks this this practice of dislocated exegesis. So before your eyes start to gloss over, it's it's not really as complicated as it sounds. Dislocated exegesis is simply the practice of reading scripture in unexpected places that might unsettle the reading you were likely to bring to the text. So think about that. It's simply the idea that where you read changes how you read. So think about how... The disciples on the road to Emmaus may have experienced this sort of dislocated exegesis after Jesus unpacks the scriptures to them. They don't recognize it's him, but then they recognize him, and then they look back at the scriptures, and things are completely changed. Maybe you've read the scriptures in a, in a similar way. I was uh, in Africa last week. I was in Tanzania, and uh, reading the scriptures in Africa was eye-opening in a different way than it is if I read them at my dining room table. (laughs) Uh, And maybe the same might be true for you if you'd put this into practice. Reading the scriptures in a place that's not your own bedroom or or your own uh, proverbial prayer closet might really bring forth a a new meaning to the scriptures. We arrived in Tanzania last week, mere hours after um, some jihadists had broken into a church on a Sunday morning and uh, martyred five Christians in Burkina Faso. So we're nowhere near Burkina Faso, uh, but we were at a, at a conference, uh, at a training with uh, some 200 or so East African leaders. So by the time that we arrived there on Monday morning, they were, um, they were ready to pray, <laughs> uh, ready to intercede. And so I'm sitting in that room with all of these African leaders, Praying not only for the the families of those who lost loved ones, but and and sometimes the beauty of the Christian faith is sort of just overwhelming. Praying not only for those who lost loved ones, but praying for the perpetrators of that violence. If ever Christianity loses its beauty for you, think about about that. Uh, So, here I am with this chorus of African voices praying for uh, their, their fallen brothers in Christ and uh, thinking about this sermon. Actually, wasn't thinking about this sermon yet, but this is what you're getting. Uh, open up Acts chapter 9 and read these words. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus, so concerned, even after beating death, with the life of his followers on the earth, that he would say, he would really identify himself with those who are being persecuted. I'm the one who you're persecuting. So it's, it's, it's me, I'm the one. So this is an example of dislocated exegesis. Just that idea that where you read the scriptures can change how you read the scriptures. So that's one practice I'd encourage you to uh, to take part in. Uh, Maybe it means lugging your Bible somewhere that you wouldn't normally lug it, or maybe it just means committing a scripture to memory and meditating on that scripture in somewhere that you you normally wouldn't meditate on it. Does that sort of make sense? Okay. The the second point that I'd like to make as these two encounters kind of bump up against each other, it's not only that Jesus meets us regardless of the road that we're on, but it's also how Jesus meets us. So in Acts chapter 9, we'll read verses 8 and 9 here. Saul, after seeing the light, hearing the voice, rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. And here's the point that I'd like us to to focus in on. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Likewise, the disciples in Luke chapter 24 This encounter with Jesus, when he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And here it is, their eyes were opened. So it's at the breaking of the bread, not the opening of the scriptures necessarily, but at the breaking of the bread. So whether it's the breaking of the bread around a table or being led by the hand, when we're alone, I would submit to you that we can't rightly discern where we should go. We can't rightly discern what an encounter with Jesus means to us, where it leads us. Put it more succinctly, maybe we can't always discern the way forward in isolation. We need to be around others breaking bread, sometimes even being led by the hand through the darkness. So the the second practice that I'd like to suggest for us, the first dislocated exegesis, where you read changes how you read. Hearing the voice of God can, can be different in different places. The second is just listening for God's voice. Listening for God's voice. I believe that God still speaks. I hope you're with me there. God, in Jesus, meets these characters in the narrative with questions, you notice, and not statements. So to the disillusioned disciples on the way to Emmaus, He says, what is this conversation you're having? The first thing he says to them. What's this conversation that you're having? In other words, what is your account of things? And to his persecutors, to, to Saul, in this case, on the road to Damascus, he asks, why are you persecuting me? He asks for an explanation. So he opens up the conversation with a question. So I would submit to you that when God speaks to us, it is often through others, It's not in isolation. And when he does so, he asks us often to re-narrate our own realities so that he might transform them. One of the best ways to be used by God in Christian community is to offer the opportunity for others, to invite them to re-narrate their lives in light of the transformation that Christ has wrought for us. So, listening for the voice of God is often listening for a question, this opportunity to re-narrate our lives, re-narrate our experience. And this often comes from the voice of another. It doesn't happen in isolation. We don't best, we can't always discern the direction that's best for us in isolation. Thirdly, what can we expect an encounter with Jesus to bring about? So first, we can expect an encounter with Jesus no matter what road we're on. Secondly, it's not only where he meets us but how he meets us with others. Thirdly, what can we expect an encounter with Jesus to bring about? So again, in Acts chapter nine, verse eight, Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. Although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So he's in darkness for, for three days following this encounter with Jesus. Look back at the Emmaus Road disciples. So they drew near to the village which they were going. He asked if they were going. He acted as as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, staying, stay with us. It is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So it's getting to be nighttime. So he went in to stay with them. So read on a little bit. Of course, their eyes are open. They recognize that it's Jesus who is walking with them. And as a result of that, they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. So, do a little imaginative thinking with me here. When they go back to Jerusalem, it's dark, right? I might be taking a little bit of liberty with the text here, but after this encounter with Jesus, Saul is blinded. After this encounter with Jesus, the disciples venture forth completely in the dark. So the third point What can we expect after an encounter with Jesus? It's not always illumination. Encounters with Jesus don't always illuminate the road before us. Sometimes we move ahead in darkness instead. So our psalm for this morning is Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So our view is obstructed. We have to be led. So in Luke 24, here we have followers of Jesus on the road away from Jerusalem who have been disappointed with the news of Jesus' death. After encounter with him, they're reinvigorated to turn back and join the community of the disciples, and they're so reinvigorated that they make their way back to get there in the dark. In Acts chapter nine, Saul, who is violently opposed to Jesus and the followers of the way, is told to continue on his way, but he is blind and has to be led by the hand. Saul is told to continue to Damascus while the disciples on the road to Emmaus reverse their course and go back to Jerusalem. But the one thing that they have in common is that they both continue in the dark. So sometimes when we hear God's voice, things become clear in a way that they weren't. I believe that's true. God has a way of bringing order to chaos. However, as we see here, there's, there really is scriptural precedent for hearing God's voice and having it complicate things instead of making them clear. Obedience is rewarded, but not always with immediate clarity. I hope you might take comfort in that, in that fact this morning. So perhaps the ultimate example of this um, encounter with Jesus and things getting cloudier than they were before instead of getting clearer comes later in Acts chapter 9. Pick it up in verse 11. Uh, Jesus meets Ananias. Ananias is a disciple, follower of the way, may know the story. Speaks to Ananias. Ananias essentially says, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard... Here it is, from many about how this man, about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he is authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So Ananias is aware of what Saul has come to do. Jesus speaks to Ananias, and things really get unclear. Why go speak to Saul? So, but we, we see later, Ananias chooses to yield. Ananias departed and entered the house. Laying his hands on him he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me to you that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Ananias has an experience with Jesus in which things become much less clear. Why? Why why Saul? Why this guy? Why would you lead me here? It's confusing. His way isn't clarified, it's it's confused, and yet he chooses to yield. So the second practice is listening for God's voice. The third is really an accompanying practice, which is yielding to God's voice in obedience. So as followers of Christ, God's written word, the scriptures, and his revealed word, encounters with him, should be what orient us listening for God's voice. So sometimes the very word that might orient us in some situations and others will throw us off entirely. It will disorient us. And we have to be ready to yield to that voice even when it plunges us into uncertainty. Yielding to that voice, it it takes practice. Consider the uncertainty that was created for Ananias. Consider that uncertainty. The same might be true for us but we do have to learn and practice not only listening for that voice, whether it's a direct word from God or a word from God through another, to practice listening for that voice and yielding to it. So I want to invite us, as we come to the table this morning, to put this into practice, to listen for God's voice, and then not only to listen, but to yield to the voice of God God meets us no matter what road we're on. God speaks to us to draw us closer to him. He speaks to us often to draw us out of ourselves and toward others, and to draw us closer to others. We can't always properly see the way forward in isolation. He speaks to us to draw us closer to others. Musicians, if you'd come as we prepare for, uh, to receive communion. Listening and yielding take practice. One of the things that I appreciate so much about Solid Rock that I've appreciated for, for all of my time here is that um, our our leadership, Pastor Matt, and um, really this whole congregation is, is as interested about what we do on, on a Tuesday morning as a Sunday morning. Does that make sense? So not just when we gather, but also when we uh, when we're apart. I really think that's a healthy picture of what, what the body of Christ should look like. Not only concerned about what goes on here uh, on Sunday mornings, but also concerned about how we live in our careers, in our jobs, with our families. And I want to be very careful here, especially on, on Mother's Day, um, as we come to a time of, of communion, listening to God uh, is often associated with silence I think it's important to carve out space for silence, but I'm also aware that there are a number of uh, parents in the room for whom silence is uh, really at a premium these days. Uh, So I want to encourage you that God does not only speak in silence. In fact, I think he often speaks in the midst of chaos in a way that he doesn't, or I hesitate to say this, but maybe even can't uh, if we confine ourselves to silence, I hope i 'm not saying anything heretical there, but I hope it 's true because I have a two year old um, so would you stand and let's let 's put this into practice so would you just pray the the prayer that Ananias prays, "Here I am, Lord," or the prayer that young Samuel prays in in the Old Testament? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Do you ask God to speak to you? And maybe, especially this morning, you would think about who in your life needs a word of encouragement. So with Mother's Day in mind, maybe there's someone who, for whom this day is especially difficult, might need a word of encouragement. Or maybe there's someone with whom your relationship has been particularly strained, or from whom you've drifted in in recent weeks and months, and you feel this unsettling distance between you. Maybe somebody in your life is going through a difficult time or has received a difficult diagnosis. Allow God to speak to you, to bring that person to your mind. I encourage you to respond as Ananias does, not only to listen, here I am, Lord, but to yield to that voice. When you hear God speak, let me encourage you to yield to His voice. So, I know this is like a a heavy spiritual time, but if we could just get really practical for a moment. It might even look like taking out your cell phone, perhaps even before you leave today, or perhaps, I don't know how you would do this, you only have two hands, but with the elements in hand, to send a text message, uh, to offer encouragement. To extend yourself in relationship. Having heard from God, would you yield to his voice even, even this morning? Maybe it would be appropriate on uh, a weekday this week to, to reach out to the person to whom God is calling you to reach out to. Would you ask him just to, to give you a name, to bring to your mind a, a situation, maybe it's of a co-worker or a family member, even now, Lord, would you speak to us as we come to your table to encounter you. Lord, it's not, not even through the scriptures, but through the breaking of bread. Through that, our eyes are open to you, our eyes are open to others, and our eyes are open in a fresh way to the scriptures. Lord, would you help us to be a people who not only listen to your voice, but who yield to it. Help us to put this into practice so that we're prepared to yield to your voice, even in times when it plunges us into difficulty and into uncertainty.